So uh, thank you all for joining us today and spending part of your Valentine's Day with us and talking about this important topics. I'm Jessica Jones, Deputy Executive Director here at the National Security Institute at George Mason uh, Scalia Law School. And we're very excited to host today's event, which features Congressman Mike Gallagher, Hong Kong activist Joey Su, NBA star Enes Cantor Freedom, and we've got Josh Rogan leading the conversation. For those of you who are new to the National Security Institute, um, NSI is a bipartisan think tank dedicated to finding actionable solutions to some of today's hardest national security policy long questions. Today's uh, discussion is both timely and important uh, as we highlight the human rights atrocities occurring in China, who is of course the host of this year's Olympic games. And before I turn it over to Josh, I'll just say a few words about him, uh, about our, tonight's moderator. He's a foreign policy and national security columnist for the Washington Post. He writes extensively on China, its human rights abuses, the Olympic Games, the Biden administration's approach, et cetera, et cetera. He's also the author of his 2021 book, uh, Chaos Under Heaven. Um, and just one final tidbit, there'll be time at the end of the event for Q&A. Um, so please drop your question into the Q&A function and hopefully we're gonna try to get to it. And with that, Josh, take it away. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you all for joining us today. And uh, thank you to the NSN for hosting this timely event. This is officially a happy hour in Washington. So if you've got your drink, uh, feel free to drink along. And if not, uh, then just me, that's fine. And, uh, oh, sorry, we sent the Congressman looking. You've got a staff for that. Uh, welcome to the event. Uh, as, as you all know, uh, the 2022 Olympics in Beijing has, for the first time in a long time, brought the world's attention uh, back to the vast and uh, deep array of human rights abuses being perpetrated by the Chinese government on people both inside China and around the world. This includes the genocide against Uyghur Muslims. This includes the re systematic repression against Tibetans in Tibet. This includes the crushing of democracy and human rights and freedoms promised to the citizens of Hong Kong. This includes the menacing of Taiwan in the region. And this includes the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to interfere in free and, society, free and open societies all over the world to quell criticism of the Chinese government and to promote Chinese Communist Party propaganda surrounding the Olympic games. In 2008, uh, the Ch Beijing Olympics was celebrated as China's emergence into the world stage in two tw 2022. Uh, the Olympics is taking place during a period many refer to as China's great leap backwards. Making things worse, the Chinese government has used the cover of the pandemic to tighten its grip on its citizens and to keep them far away from all the international visitors. Meanwhile, the Chinese government has gone to great lengths to silence anyone in Beijing who might speak up against their, against their abuses. The just for some examples, the government has installed a, made all international visitors install a health monitoring app that forces them to fill their phones with security vulnerabilities. Uh, the Chinese diplomats have outright threatened athletes who might think of speaking up against Chinese human rights practices. The Biden administration announced the diplomatic boycott, but nowhere and at no time did they promise to stand up and defend Americans' right to free speech, both here and inside China. Uh, regretfully, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who once stood in Tiananmen Square in 1991 and unfurled a pro-democracy banner asserting her right to free speech, 
now in 2022 tells athletes to be silent because the CCP is in her words, ruthless. The International Olympic Committee, rather than defend the values it pretends to stand for, it has helped the CCP make a hostage video with tennis star Pong Shui. The IOC wouldn't even meet with human rights groups or answer questions about whether the Olympic swag they're handing out was made by Uyghur slaves. Other corporate sponsors have also failed to shower themselves in Olympic glory. In fact, they've been silent. And as Ellie Wiesel has taught us, silence always favors the tormented, never the tormentors. Some say the Olympics should never be political, but in fact, that has never been the case. And for the Chinese government, of course, it's political. The Olympics has provided a window into today's China under CCP rule, and it's not a pretty picture. And I'm not just talking about the industrial wasteland they used for the free ski events. China's in 2022 under Xi Jinping is not just expans expansionist and aggressive and repressive, uh, it is expanding in ways that are meant to change our world order and in ways that threaten our national security, our prosperity, our freedom, and our public health. Can we as a group of free and open societies, despite our flaws and weaknesses and divisions and problems, rise to this challenge? The Olympics has been a moment for those who care about human rights abuses in China and the victims of those abuses to have a say. But what will happen when the games are over? Will the world once again turn away from the genocide? These are the questions we're here to answer today. I told you you might need a drink. This is heavy stuff. I'm very pleased, though, to have an amazing panel to address these important questions right here, right now. The first, we're going to hear from Congressman Mike Gallagher, uh, dialing in from Long, Longboat Key, Florida, but hailing from the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, former Marine, former Intel officer, former congressional staffer, uh, member of all of the right committees. He's one of the few who has distinguished himself standing up for the victims of CCP abuses. Joey Xu is a Hong Kongese American student activist, a policy advisor of Hong Kong Watch and an advisor to the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. She was one of the leading democracy activists, student activists during the crackdown and she now lives in exile in uh, United States. Ennis Cantor Freedom was born Ennis Cantor in Zurich, Switzerland, but his family returned to his family's native Turkey when his father became a professor of histology and genetics at Trakya University. Sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Cantor was drafted with the third overall pick by Utah in the 2011 NBA draft. In 2021, he became a naturalized American citizen and changed his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom. He is a leading, perhaps the only sports star to speak out on behalf of many, many different groups suffering at the hands of many, many different dictators in China, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela. And if I missed any, there's probably several more. We'll do a couple of rounds of questions for me, and then we'll take some questions from the audience. Uh, as Jessica said, you can use the Q&A feature to submit your question to any or all of the panelists. And I would like to start with you, Congressman Gallagher. Congressman Gallagher, we've seen basically in Washington, in my view, what seems to be paralysis. We've got a lot of strong statements, but not a lot of action. What can Congress do? What can the US government do? What can the Biden administration do to use this moment, to use this opportunity to make some actual progress in the cause of human rights, especially, but not only in China? Well, thank you, Josh. Uh, thanks to NSI. Thanks to Jamil Jaffer. And especially uh, just want to say what an honor it is to appear with Joey Sue and Anis Cantor Freedom, both of whom have spoken the truth 
about the Chinese Communist Party at great personal cost. I mean, it's much easier for me to criticize the CCP. They both have much more to lose, and I've been inspired by their example. And I think their moral clarity should make all of us more courageous. And Josh, I think your book was instrumental in helping a lot of people understand the threat posed by the CCP. Uh, I think there's a lot of people for whom the entry point into understanding the, the depravity of the regime is not necessarily uh, the Uyghur genocide, as, as crazy as that is to say. Uh, it's easy to dismiss things that you know people think happen over there, but your book really connected how it's not just an over there problem, particularly when it comes to uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, the the cover-up perpetrated by the CCP and the depravity of the regime has had real costs for all Americans. And so I wanna salute you for doing that. You know, we introduced a bill in the house uh, in an attempt to prevent this Olympics from being used as a propaganda piece to further the techno totalitarian goals of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, based on that and based, I think, on the need to protect our athletes, the bill is simple, uh, and I joined, I should uh, give ranking member Mike McCall and the House Foreign Affairs Committee credit as well. More than two dozen of my colleagues joined us to introduce the Genocide Games Act, which would sanction IOC officials like Thomas Bach if the Chinese government commits a gross violation of the internationally recognized human rights of a 2022 Olympic or Paralympic participant. And the principle here is simple. Far from being a bystander, we believe the IOC has real agency uh, in this present tragedy, and it needs to be properly encouraged to protect our athletes. And the fact is, uh, thus far, the IOC has utterly failed to do that. Once the 2022 games were set in Beijing, the IOC fell into a nothing to see here mode. They downplayed concerns about the CCP's human rights violations. Understandably, they have more than $1.4 billion in annual revenue on the line. They had a powerful incentive to protect the 2022 games at all costs. And that's exactly what they've done. Contrary to their assertions, they've not maintained strict neutrality. They've actively reinforced CCP propaganda at every opportunity. They made themselves uh, culpable for human rights abuses in the process. During the opening ceremony, the, the IOC president asked participants to observe your commitment to this Olympic truth, give peace a chance. The Olympic truth, however, appears not to extend to the ongoing genocide in Xinjiang, which the IOC has not only downplayed, but materially assisted by labeling diplomatic boycotts as purely political. So this support for genocide uh, is evident, but it's not just limited to rhetoric. The IOC selected the Chinese company Anta as the official supplier of IOC sportswear during the 2022 games. It's a company that is so committed to enthusiastically embracing genocide that it left a trade group called the Better Cotton Initiative when it raised concerns about Xinjiang. So this is just one way we think that we in Congress can apply some pressure to the IOC and at a minimum, both protect our athletes and prevent this game from being used as propaganda for the regime as past Olympic games have been used by totalitarian and authoritarian regimes. And that has had very dangerous consequences. Thank you, Congressman Gallagher. Uh, let me ask you a follow-up about that. You know, I've seen your bill, there's another bill uh, that would uh, take away the IOC's tax exempt status. Uh, but none of these bills seem to be passing. Where is the leadership? Why doesn't any of this rate any floor time? Why are we going through the Olympics and everyone's submitting bills, but none of them get passed, much less signed by the president? What the heck is going on in Congress? And secondly, what's going on with the administration? Have you uh, talked to your friends in the administration? 
even though you're a Republican, I know you have friends in the administration. Uh, that might be bad press for you, but I just too late. I already told the world that. So what do they say about why they aren't doing more? I would like to know who these friends are because they give me very little information. Do you want me to name them? It's going to be bad press for you. I'm telling you. I, um, I, uh, well, two things. One, when it comes to the house, uh, I've been mystified because if you, if you examine speaker Pelosi's record and the speaker controls what bills come to the floor, she actually has a long history of calling out the Chinese communist party that goes back all the way back to Tiananmen. Um, and so I assumed naively at the start of this, that she might join us in pushing back first on the idea that the game should be held in China and then allowing at least one of these bills uh, to go forward, or at least putting some pressure on the administration to do an actual diplomatic or an actual boycott that had that had real teeth. But uh, she did not. And I'm left to conclude it is either a hangover from one of the narratives that we saw during the pandemic, which was any criticism of the Chinese Communist Party seemed to distract from criticism of the Republicans and of Trump specifically, and in some cases was called anti-Asian hatred, or it could be simply an unwillingness to anger the Democratic donor base. Uh, And there is a significant, powerful interest, particularly on Wall Street, that does not want to upset the relationship with China. They think the friction in the relationship uh, under the Trump administration was just epiphenomenal to Trump and will go away. That's not going to happen. There's bipartisan support for a more realistic approach. Or perhaps there's something else going on that that I don't understand. The administration, it seems, and I'll end with this, took a long time analyzing the problem, figuring out what they were going to do. And there is a camp of people that I do think wants to be tougher on the the, uh, CCP and the administration. And then they kind of, they arrived at a milquetoast solution, this diplomatic boycott, which was you know, a press release at best. And then they didn't do anything to make it meaningful. And I think probably for the same reasons that Speaker Pelosi didn't want to take a harder tack uh, on the China uh, against the Chinese Communist Party. It's been very disappointing. I just would say, however, I do believe that sort of fundamental bipartisan spirit of pushing back on the CCP's human rights abuses and understanding how pernicious of a threat they are still exists in Congress, uh, even though we've been able to get these specific bills passed. Got it. Thank you. Uh, let me move to you, Joey, to give us the activist perspective. You know, I've been personally uh, amazed by the, uh, the the courage and the uh, organization and the and the talent that these activist groups have brought to this campaign. Um, but at the same time, it seems like the corporations haven't budged. It seems like the athletes are frankly too scared. Some of them seem to have boycotted at least the opening ceremony, but they won't even say it until they leave Beijing because they're scared they might get arrested, which is crazy. Um, But I'm wondering if I can ask you from your perspective, what has this uh, last few weeks taught you? What have you encountered as you went to raise awareness of this? Where were your successes and where were your uh, biggest challenges? Yeah, so actually since 2020, activism, also a lot of different human rights organizations and groups have been organizing countless protests across the globe, and we also take actions in 
maritime to actions in Germany and in Greece and a lot of other regions uh, really across the globe. We have been demanding government's diplomatic boycotts. We have been asking corporations to suspend their sponsorship. We have also been reaching out to broadcasting companies to ask them to drop their coverage over the genocide games. And we, we tried so many methods to reach out to elected officials, the, inter the International Olympics Committee, and also representatives from the company, et cetera. But then really, from my point of view, the campaign really allowed us, not only as human rights activists, but then really people across the globe who have been watching us, one thing that the Chinese Communist Party is no doubt guilty, but then also, a lot of the other stakeholders, for example, like the IOC, for example, like the sponsors of the game, and then also a lot of the other companies who decided to broadcast the uh, genocide games are also complicit. And democracy, well, democracies worldwide, including here in the United States, we're not doing enough to hold these stakeholders and also parties accountable. So, for example, we have been, uh, we, we actually had a meeting with the International Olympics Committee, and that meeting was also attended by the uh, very leading human rights advocate, Professor Tim Biao. And in the meeting that they had with the International Olympics Committee, they presented before them the first-hand lived experiences of suffering under the CCP's brutal oppression, uh, including the experiences of living in the concentration camps built by the Chinese Party, including experiences to uh, undergo the oppression and seeing your friends and families being arrested by the Hong Kong government uh, under the national security law. But then really all these human rights concerns that we raised in the meeting were very soon dismissed by the International uh, Olympics Committee President Thomas Bach using the term uh, political neutrality as a shield claiming that sports should never be politicized. And then a few months ago, back in uh, October last year, we also have activists, including myself, who went to Greece and protested against the Olympics. And the result was that we got arrested, we got detained for an unusually long time. Several Tibetan activists were questioned, they were followed and eventually arrest, arrested after they witnessed a very suspicious conversation that took place between the Greek police and some personnel who seemed to be representatives from the Chinese embassy. And we also encountered an enormous challenges when we re reach out to corporations where they refused to even send a representative to receive our letter or simply to talk to us. So I think in conclusion, I would say that the whole 2000, no, 2000, no Beijing 2022 campaign has really been uh, an eye-opening experience to not only us who coordinated and participated in different protests and also actions, but then really people across the globe who are paying attention to the Olympic Games, who are paying attention to the human rights abuses committed by the Chinese Communist uh, regime. We can see how the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration and also exporters of aliens in foreign countries have been, have been affecting us. We have seen how its threat and alert strategy are keeping businesses and also multinational companies silenced. We have also witnessed the complicity of international bodies like the International Olympics Committee and so many more. And all these issues are right now exposed under the sunlight. And moving forward, we, we really hope that uh, we could successfully transform the momentum that we have built with the campaign into power that really drives effective policy change to tackle these issues. And we really need stronger actions to be taken by the government, especially here in the United States, to stop the Chinese Communist Party's ambitious aggression. And I mean, it is so important that policymakers would step up to uh, lead changes. We do not need to hear from policymakers that uh, we have to censor ourselves, we have to silence ourselves, so we do not get ourselves in danger. We need them to help lead the change that would protect us from being censored by the Chinese Communist Party.
Thank you so much, Joe. You, I didn't know that you had met with Thomas Bach, and he said political neutrality. Why is that crazy thing for him to say? Why, why explain to people out there why Thomas Bach calling for political neutrality uh, is not doesn't make any sense. I myself was not at the meeting, but then as I've mentioned, the human rights activists from the Hong Kong, Tibet, uh, Chinese, and also Uyghur community have attended. They have shared with the International Olympics Committee their experiences of undergoing torture in concentration camps. They have shared experiences of undergoing oppressions in Hong Kong and et cetera. And I think it is really ridiculous and disappointing to hear an international sports organizations telling us that uh, now, the humorous concerns that you have raised to us are simply political matters, because we have saw that how the Chinese Communist Party has been manipulating the 2022 Winter Olympics Games as a platform to export their propaganda. They have been using the games as a very uh, good opportunity for them to sports wash away uh, its humorous abuses committed in Hong Kong, East Turkestan, and also Tibet. We are very clear about who is actually the one who have been trying to politicize the games, who have been using the games as a platform for propaganda and for uh, boosting its nationalism. So I think it is very clear that who is actually the one who has been trying to cover up all these human rights abuses. So I think it is really ridiculous for uh, the IOC and then the others to accuse human, human rights activists who are simply tr trying to raise awareness uh, on our situation, trying to raise awareness and shine a light on our people who are still under the threat and also fear of being persecuted by the government for defending our freedom and democracy. Thank you. Joey, what did the athletes say to you? And, you know, you don't have to name them, but when you're having these conversations with them, when you're asking them to take a risk to do something uh, that they know could, could have negative consequences, what kind of feedback did you get generally? So we have Tibet and also Hong Kong activists trying to reach out to athletes who were going to participate in the games. At the very beginning, they're happy to talk to us. They got our, uh, they received our letter. They took pictures with us. They tried to understand what has been going on in Hong Kong, East Turkestan, and Tibet. But then just a few days after our campaign was out, uh, the attitude of these athletes changed a lot. Uh, they, they tell us that they cannot talk to us. They cannot take pictures of, uh, with us or to receive our letters because that is going to put them at a very dangerous spot as well. They're afraid to speak out about human rights abuses or even to try to understand about the situations in Hong Kong, East Turkestan, and Tibet. Thank you, thank you. Mr. Freedom, where to begin, where to begin? You know, I think a lot of people, and it's a really, you know, uh, surprised, some impressed even that, you know, what started for you as a campaign against the dictator who was actually oppressing you and your family extended to a campaign against all dictators. And people may not know, you know, that Turkish President Erdogan jailed your father and put you on the Interpol list and tried to get you arrested all over the world and you know, has persecuted all the members of your religion over uh, lies. And people understood when it seemed very clear when you were protesting that and then you change. Tell, explain to people why it is that you decided to take on this bigger mission and speak out for yeah. people suffering first, more, who you have no relationship to. First, Congressman, thank you for your kind words. And Joy, big fan. I always admire me to be a better person, so I just wanted to get it out there. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was like, obviously, because of my family situation and because of, and everything else, 
I was, you know, focusing on the situation that happened in Turkey the last 10 years. And uh, it's, it's little, um, so I was doing a basketball camp this past summer and uh, I was actually doing a basketball camp with one of the uh, congressmen in his uh, district. And after the camp, I was, you know, taking pictures uh, with the kids. And one by one, I was taking pictures and um, I took a picture with this kid and her parents pretty much called me out for, in front of everybody. And he was like, how can you call yourself a human rights activist, right? <clears throat> when your brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped every day in concentration camps in China. I was shocked. I turned around to that parent. I was like, I promise you I'm gonna get back to you, right? And um, that day I canceled the rest of my schedule and I went back to my hotel. I closed down the curtains and I started to study. And I was always obviously hearing about like what was going on there, but I didn't really like pay attention because I, my plate was always full because of my family. And, uh, and, and then I started to study. <clears throat> I started to study about things that happened over there. And, uh, and then after that, there's just, while I was you know, uh, researching about Uyghurs, there's a link popped out. I clicked on it and it was about Tibetans. And I started to read about, read about Tibetans. I already, know, I already knew about what was going on in Hong Kong because of two years ago when Daryl Morey tweeted something about it. And so, but I, I started to do more research about, how, about you know, uh, Hong Kong. And then the next day I was watching TV and there's a new news that popped out about Taiwan. And I was like, wow, this is actually crazy, right? And the more I read, the more I was ashamed with myself. I was like, I cannot believe the last 10 years, I was just only focusing on one dictatorship. And then after that, I promised myself, I was like, from now on, I'm gonna do whatever I can to just, you know, just first learn and, and I'll also, you know, try to, you know, bring awareness about what's going on over there. And, um, <clears throat> and then after that, I actually just didn't wanna just study. I was actually wanting to, you know, sit down with some, some of the survivors and have a conversation with them. I remember calling my manager. I was like, find me a concentration camp survivor. He was like, what are you talking about? And uh, we actually had a conversation uh, with her. And the, I don't think anyone in the world can listen to her story and not say a word. It was just like, it was a, my heart was shattering. And then I was like, that day I promised myself, I'm going to do whatever I can to just, you know, amplify about what's going on, no matter what, whatever it takes. And, um, and also I wanted to do it in a way that, that can affect millions of kids out there. I remember when I was a kid, I, when I went, whenever I watched an NBA game, the first thing I was, look, I was looking was a tool for an NBA player, what kind of shoes that he was wearing, you know, what color it is, what brand, how, if, it, if it's comfortable, you know, what kind of shape is in. So I, I wanted to create the shoes that is pretty much gonna tell a thousand words. And obviously I put those shoes on, went out there and it did bring a lot of attention. And obviously many people didn't like it who are in China's pocket. But I was like, you know, it is what it is. You know, this is what I believe in. And this is what I'm gonna uh, speak up. And, uh, you know, since that day, uh, obviously uh, China is one of the strongest, the biggest dictatorship in the world. And once you talk about that, and obviously you would be getting a lot of threats and you'd be getting lots of, you know, um, stuff from the people who loves China, but I was like, you know what, it is what it is. I'm gonna do, you know, what, what's right. And uh, since then I've been talking about these issues.
when you look at the Olympics uh, <laughs> and you look at the athletes, you know, you have a, a, a better idea than most what they're going through. Uh, and most of them are silent. And I'm wondering if you can help us understand what what are they facing from their I mean, it's a little bit speculation, but what are they facing from their coaches? What are they facing from their national teams, from the IOC? Talk about the pressure that they're under and what uh, to stay silent. Just shut up. You know, whenever I sit down with an athlete, Olympic, non-Olympic, whatever, have a conversation with them, and I want to educate them, but then I realize that they already know what's going on over there, you know? And that, that was making me really frustrated because I was like, so you already know what's going on over there and you're still going to go and become a part of the problem, right? And, you know, whenever we sit down, they're like, listen, man, you're right. Whatever you're saying, whatever you're talking about, you're right. You know, I think China is one of the worst dictatorships out there. Yes, we accepted it. You know, there's a genocide happening. Yes. But then they're like, listen, man, we love you. We support you, but we can't do, we just cannot do it out loud because we have so many, you know, endorsement deals, so many, you know, just businesses and contracts and money, blah, blah, involved. And we just cannot do it out loud. Good for you, but we have family to feed. And that, that was really like, that really frustrated me. Um, I think, you know, whenever I sit down, I, I, I was even telling them, I'm like, listen, it doesn't matter. The, 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 for the athletes, the most, it don't matter if you, even if you win the whole you know gold medals in the world it's not more important than your morals and your principles you know and uh, i was just trying to keep telling them to stand up for what's right because you have a big platform and you can inspire millions of people by you saying a word while you're there you're going to become you know a social justice warrior eventually immediately and you're going to inspire millions of people but just obviously because of the fear not just because of fear of the dictatorship fear of losing money fear of losing business fear of losing endorsement deals or jersey sales or shoe sales and stuff they just couldn't say a word and uh you know i understand so many people were asking me like listen man you know they are they've been prepared for this moment for years like you what you're asking them is a lot from them you know but then i was telling them this think about if your mother if your daughter, if your sister or whoever, one of your family members was in those concentration camps or their country is about to be, you know, be invaded from a dictatorship, would you still, you know, remain silent? Then they usually stop texting me after that, after asking that question, so. Thank you. You, you had a uh, public invitation to come to China from Yao Ming. How did, did that? How did that go? And uh, what's the latest with that? Are you gonna? Did you take him up on it? How's that? How's are you gonna go? What's the? Is the trip gonna happen? Can I come? So, so the, the, a lot of people are ask, actually asking me about about him and you know his invitation. I will describe him as big body, you know, small heart and tiny brain. That's how, <laughs> I, how I look as a you know, bas as a basketball player. Obviously, he is he's really good, but off the court. He's pretty much, uh, you know, Communist Party's puppet, you know. And um, I mean, he invited me to China and I was like, yes, OK, I'm coming. That's the crazy thing. I was like, I wanted to go. I actually. But while I'm, I told him, like, while on not him, but like on Internet, I was like, listen, while I'm there, I don't need a luxury tour of China. I don't you know, I don't need a propaganda while I'm there. We'll do whatever you want to do. And then 
we'll go to concentration camps together, right? And then after that, we'll go see Tibetan people. We'll go visit Hong Kong. And after we're done, we fly to Taiwan and see, see what's going on over there. You know, you, I'll, you join me and I'll join you. And then a day later, literally a day later, he blocked me on social media like a little kid. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, man. I was, I was blown away. I was like, I can't believe he did that. And uh, I even took a screenshot and shared it and stuff. But like that shows one more time that all they're trying to do is propaganda and just nonsense. <laughs> if you could talk to him right now, what would you say? I would say just, you know, stand up for, for what's right. You know, you made enough money already to raise your grandkids, grandkids, you know, be enough for your whole generation. I feel like I will say, listen, I will ask him the same question. If your wife and if your sister was getting tortured and raped every day, would you remain, still remain silent? You know, and I will say, you know, as big as you're on the court, as small as you're off the court, just have some heart, have do some empathy and sympathy and think about those people that who are suffering right now. And um, that's exactly what I would say to him. Before I go back to the Congressman Ennis, what do you think about the situation of Peng Shui? You know, what, what's your, I know it's a guess, mm -hmm. but what's your best guess about the situation uh, that she's in and how do you feel about what she's done? I think while we know that she's alive, we, I don't believe, or in many medical that she's not free. She's not free to speak. She's not free to travel till she talks to a, and you know a media that has nothing to do with china i'm not going to believe what the government chinese government says what i especially ioc ioc slips in the same bed with china people need to understand this they are part of the big problem and they're pretty much in the propaganda for uh, china so till i hear from a non-chinese media that peng shu is free she's safe she, because I think China's doing everything they can to just control the narrative about her, you know, but uh, I think, you know, I think she's not free to speak or travel. I think that's right. I think that's right. Thank you. Congressman Gallagher, back to you. You know, for a lot of Washington is distracted by Putin and Ukraine, but, you know, what the Olympics has really done is it's really forced us to sort of look at what's going on in China and the U.S.-China relationship. And you know, this was supposed to be China's, you know, putting forth its best foot forward. You know, it's this is this is the C CCP on its best behavior. OK, and the behavior is pretty awful. What does that mean for U.S.-China relations? Where are we? How do we, you know, in I think in D.C. personally, we get it caught into these, you know, really simplistic discussions of Cold War, not Cold War, Thucydides trap, not Thucydides trap, uh, decoupling, not decoupling. And, you know, we can't get past that those simple bumper stickers to think about what is what what do we do and where are we in this relationship and how do we deal with a China that's doing all this evil stuff but at the same time is the second biggest economy in the world. Well, first of all, what a breath of fresh air to listen to an athlete of NS Cantor Freedom stature speak just so honestly. Uh, and as I said at the beginning with moral clarity, I I just, you, we can do a side-by-side -side of, of that video with anything LeBron James has ever said in the last five years that it would just, it would be very revealing. So that's, that's very inspiring. Um, and, and, and particularly in light of just what we've, what, some of what we've seen from, from the NBA uh, in recent years, which I really do think sort of the Daryl Morey situation was a canary in the coal mine for the way in which 
the CCP uses economic coercion to silence uh, dissent. And again, the way in which this is not an over there problem, it's a right here in America problem. It's a problem that implicates American values and American rights. To get to your question, where are we now? Well, I think, I think we are grappling with that. It's a complex issue. What, in my opinion, what makes this more difficult than the old Cold War is, is the fact that we are so thoroughly economically entangled with China. Uh, we never had to talk about selective decoupling or hard decoupling from the Soviet Union because we didn't, our economies didn't really interact. Uh, and of course, today, we're discovering uh, how interdependent our economies are. And this is going to be a multi-decade process of onshoring the manufacturing of, of critical goods, uh, nearshoring, figuring out a way where we can cooperate more closely with our allies. But I, I'd be lying to you if I said I had a silver bullet solution to that problem. I have some initiatives that I think would help, I think, and some of which are pretty blunt. For example, I, I think it may, would make sense for Congress to pass a law that says to every uh, institute of higher education, uh, a university endowment, for example, which you know universities are receiving tax advantage status and, and federal money, uh, that they should not be allowed to invest in China. At a minimum, I don't think our taxpayer dollars should flow to a regime that is actively trying to destroy us. But that's just one example among many things that I think we need to do to scrutinize this economic relationship, which is very difficult. Uh, look at the way in which much like the, the NBA, Hollywood has been thoroughly corrupted by the CCP. I, honestly, I, the last time I went to New York and I talked to a lot of major asset managers on Wall Street, and they know I come in with more of, let's say, a I would call a realistic perspective. They would say a hawkish perspective uh, on China. But it's just, you know, when I talk about the risk of a confrontation over Taiwan, it's like they they just laugh me out of the room. Uh, they think it, it's it's never going to happen um, because of the economic interest, right? I call this sort of the John Dillinger problem we're still dealing with. Why did John Dillinger rob banks? Because that's where the money is. We have people that are still hooked on profit coming out of China and don't want to know. They don't want to know if their supply chains run through Xinjiang province and depend on slave labor. So I think we're in the very early stages of what's going to be a generational competition, which hopefully does not escalate into outright conflict. However, and this is the biggest divide, I think the biggest divide is really not between left and right right now. It's in some ways between um, sort of national security minded people and let's say Wall Street minded people and the former, we believe that a confrontation with, over Taiwan is increasingly likely within this decade, especially if after the Taiwan's elections in January 2024, if the DPP wins again, I think she concludes he can't accomplish this by political warfare. I think he'll also conclude we'll be having a presidential election. America will be divided against itself, that he'll never get a better shot. Uh, I think he, he's dealing with looming demographic issues uh, and debt issues that become more acute in the 30s. So this is the decade of maximum danger. And I think that's the second big thing we're grappling with. It's if you believe that, as I do, what can we do right now to deter such a, a, a war, uh, which would quickly escalate? Uh, and given the critical role that Taiwan plays in global semiconductor manufacturing, would have enormous implications for all of us, right? You think that China's ability to silence, you know, multi-millionaire uh, athletes like LeBron James or you know uh, the NBA commissioner is a big deal now? 
Well, imagine the coercive power they'll have if they have effective control of global semiconductor manufacturing and thereby the ability to hold the rest of the world hostage. The final thing I'd say, Josh, and I know it relates to your reporting, and it's the third sort of thing I think we're grappling with very unevenly, it's how do you hold the regime accountable for the pandemic, right? I, I don't believe that this was intentionally released uh, from a lab. I, don't, I haven't seen any evidence, but I do think the evidence is stacking up in favor of the fact that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I think it's indisputable, regardless of whether you favor the natural origin theory or the lab leak theory, it's indisputable that the CCP did everything humanly possible to cover it up, to prevent a thorough investigation, and to corrupt our own scientific community and the WHO. There needs to be a reckoning on that. Uh, if for no other reason, then we, that's our best chance of preventing the next pandemic. So I, I don't know, those are three things that jump to my mind that, that we're grappling with in Congress. And it's, it's very difficult. Uh, I think the Cold War analogy is instructive. One, because we want this war to stay cold, not hot. But two, it reminds us that in the early stage of the old Cold War, you had a lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, that had to come together and figure a very difficult challenge out. And, and they made a lot of mistakes along the way, but they held the thing together at times with duct tape. And that's what we need right now. We need our best and our brightest to, to help us figure this generational challenge out because uh, it's very difficult. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it seems like uh, we're we're lacking the bipartisanship that's going to be required here. We'll get back to the Wuhan labs if you really want to. Uh, but I'd like to go back to what you just said before that, which is what can we do? And are we looking at a confrontation in Taiwan? And I think Joey is the perfect person to comment on that because you were there in Hong Kong and, you know, the, the world largely stood aside. You know, there were a lot of statements, there were some bills, there were some sanctions, but basically the world, in my view anyway, it may be disagreeably, the world stood aside. What are the lessons there? Do you think Hong Kong is next? And also, please update us on what the current status is of the Hong Kong democracy movement. It's still there. It's still, we're still fighting for that. And please let us know what we can all do to help. I mean, obviously, with the implementation of Hong Kong's national security law back in July 2020, our civil society has been disbanded. Uh, all of our, almost all of our prominent pro-democracy activists, politicians, and to legal professionals, and also community organizers, all of these people have been jailed, detained, or forced into exile by the Hong Kong and Chinese government. And since the implementation of the law, we have seen a force of, we have seen a force forceful uh, disbanding of almost over 70 civil society organizations, including 11 media, uh, which includes uh, the largest pro-democracy paper in the Hong Kong Apple Daily, the very large uh, online pro-democracy platform, Stand News, and also Citizens News. So the situation in Hong Kong right now is really, really unexpectedly worse. And with the proposals from the government to further censor film productions in Hong Kong, to further overturn our education system, to further propose the article number 23, which is going to uh, censor online speeches made by uh, Hong Kongers in the city or Hong Kongers who are outside of the city, we can expect a further crackdown in Hong Kong uh, from both the Hong Kong government and the Chinese Communist regime. And also from the recent attacks on pro-democracy businesses in Hong Kong, on the uh, attacks on foreign media journalists in Hong Kong and also expats in Hong Kong, we can see that Hong Kong is no longer the 
international financial hub, which is different from mainland China. It is no longer a place where you can still enjoy freedom and democracy, where you enjoy the protection of our very well-established legal system. Everything in Hong Kong, including our uh, judicial system, including uh, the values that we use to cherish are now uh, completely overhauled by the Chinese party. So that is the situation in Hong Kong right now. And I think we really appreciate the world's support to Hong Kong's protests and also to our pre-democracy movement since, 2000, since 2019. But then it is also a challenge that we are facing that, for example, here in the United States, we're not providing enough to assist the Hong Kong protesters. For example, we have the Hong Kong Safe Harbor Act, uh, the Hong Kong Safe Harbor Act, which was proposed in 2020, but then it is still stuck in the Congress right now. We're not seeing any progress made. We have been seeing a lot of statements and also support, but then really, we, we, we really need uh, legislation that is going to provide concrete assistance to, to Hong Kongers to be passed in the Congress. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, I see the questions are coming in from the audience. Keep them coming. Uh, we're going to go to them soon. We're going to have a good section for questions. I'll choose the best ones and uh, we need some more. So keep sending them in. Uh, you know, Joe, I, I want to ask you to react to something that Congressman Gallagher said uh, earlier, which is that, you know, one of the reasons that uh, this issue is so politically divided is because, you know, there's a, a, a real concern, a genuine, I think, an authentic concern amongst some progressives that you know, confronting China, confronting the CCP's abuses fuels anti-Asian and anti-Pacific Islander hate and violence, uh, which is in, on the rise in this country, which is a terrible thing. And, you know, this ha this uh, became an issue last week at the George Washington University when the posters of a Chinese dissident artist named Badia Cao, who uh, actually painted the shoes that Ennis Cantor Freedom Whereas on his feet, the same exact guy, his posters were torn down by the university because the Chinese Student and Scholars Association said they were racist. They complained that they were racist. And the university president tore them down thinking, oh, yeah, I guess they're racist. He didn't even realize that they were painted by a Chinese dissident and that, you know, they're protesting genocide, which is like the most racist thing there is. But rather than me explain it, could you explain it for the audience? How do we think about the fact that the CCP uses the racism charge to silence critics, but at the same time, we do have a rise of anti-Asian hate in this country, which is also terrible that we need to address. How, do, how should we think about that? I mean, as an Asian American myself, I understand the discrimination and also the difficulties living here in the States as the people of color. And if you have ever paid attention to our campaigns and also our advocacy, we have always made it very, very clear that all of our uh, campaigns, all of our demands, all of our criticism are directed to the Chinese party instead of the Chinese people themselves. And I think it is, it is actually very disappointing to see some of the progressive groups or the other people who have been trying to use uh, anti-Asian hate crime as again, as a shield to cover up and then also to defend themselves from standing up against the Chinese party to voice up for our people who are undergoing the oppression of the Chinese party, because I feel like it is actually no difference than the IOC from uh, using political neutrality to uh, to reject our, uh, our our demands to ask them to stand up uh, for our people to uh, voice out about, uh, about our human rights concerns. And I think it is actually very important for us to understand that all of 
uh, all of our human, act, human rights activists, all that we have been asking is for an effective policy change to tackle aggression uh, initiated by the Chinese communist regime. We're not asking uh, policymakers, we're not asking uh, stakeholders in the, in the society to completely, uh, for example, to ban Chinese students from coming here in the United States. What, what, what we have been asking uh, is for uh, an effective policy change that would really tackle the regime itself. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Mr. Freedom, you wear the art of uh, body itself on your feet several times a week. What was your reaction when uh, that art was called racist? What did you think? Oh, it's unbelievable. He actually messaged me on uh, on uh, one of the apps that we communicate, and I just couldn't believe it. You know, I think what he's doing, he I just want to I can't say enough about him. I think he is legend, and he's inspiring and changing the whole world with his art. And um, that's why I trusted him with my shoes. And um, I mean, his shoes was all over the world. And even like some of my, uh, you know, teammates were saying, this is the most inspirational shoes that ever created in a sports world. So I cannot give enough credit to him. He's an unbelievable guy. And when, when he messaged me that, uh, you know, the article, I was, I just couldn't believe it. I think he's doing an amazing job and inspiring millions of people out there. I totally agree. And we should note that the George Washington University president's office reversed itself and admitted mm -hmm. that protesting genocide is not racist and Chinese dissident artists are not racist. But uh, it took them a while to get there, frankly. You know, it just shows how much, you know, even these big institutions, in, even in Washington, D.C., even at the George Washington University, where I went, graduated in a long time ago, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. Uh, Mr. Freedom, one last question, and then we'll go to uh, the audience questions, you know, as a Muslim, what, how do you comp, how do you understand the fact that most, almost all, I think every Muslim majority country remains silent about the Uyghur genocide, Uyghur Muslims being tortured and, and suffering ethnic cleansing and mass atrocities. And, you know, I saw the Pakistani prime pre, prime minister defend it yesterday, the other day, yesterday. Uh, you know, you never saw Mohammed bin Salman say anything about it. You know, what you know, what what is, what's going on in the Muslim community, and what, how can that? Uh, very, how can very, very good question. I mean, that that was actually one of the first thing I asked to one of my friends. I'm like, listen, there are so many, you know, Muslim countries and leaders out there, and you know what they are speaking about, like all the other issues in the world when it comes to Muslims, but. Obviously, when the China is involved, they're just remaining selling, and it is unbelievable. Well, I mean, obviously, I think when there is, you know, a lot of businesses involved, with the economy and all that stuff, that so they're just, you know, remaining selling, and they're scared. And I think, you know, they're they love to talk about all those, you know, issues out there in the world, you know, in, in Muslim worlds. But when it comes to China, and where this is probably the most, uh, the whole horrific one because it's pretty much over maybe over two million people are getting you know torture and rape every day they remain in silent i just hope that i don't want to say they can educate themselves because i they know better than all of us i guess of what's going on over in those concentration camps but i just hope that they can do some empathy and sympathy that to feel those people and put themselves in their shoes put their family in their family's shoes and they can just speak up you know i just hope that they can uh, it, it just breaks my heart that how this powerful, you know, people in the world that just 
can say a word when it comes to China. That was the one thing that was really pissing me off. And that was the one thing that I actually wanted to just speak up. I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. Someone had to do this. So. Amen. And we should know that there have been some athletes who have spoken out again, Gus, Gus mm-hmm. Kenworthy and uh, others, Adam Rapon, and they're fine. They didn't get arrested. They're totally fine. So as it turns out, maybe they can speak out. Um, I want to go to the audience questions. We have about eight minutes left. I, I, a, a lot of the questions center around this basic idea of what can regular people do? Okay. And whether it's pushing legislation, whether it's pushing helping the activists, whether it's putting pressure on celebrities. Uh, so in that order, can I just ask each of the, our panelists, do you have some real actionable ideas? You're watching YouTube right now. Uh, you tuned in to Sienna's Cantor Freedom and now you think, okay, I want to do something. What mm-hmm. do I do? Let's start with Congressman Gallagher, then Joey, then Ennis. Give, give people out there some, some, some concrete ideas for things they can do today and tomorrow and the next day. Well, I'll give the boring answer because I'm the boring congressman on the panel, but the whole nature of representative government in America is that you elect people uh, to, to represent you in D.C. Call your congressman. Uh, get them on, on some of these bills. Uh, examine their issues on China. You know, the reason I think a lot of this goes unexamined is because a lot of people in politics operate under the assumption that their constituents don't care uh, about foreign policy issues. But I would argue this issue is as important, if not more, than any other. I mean, I, I think this is the struggle of our generation. So ask your member of Congress what their views on China are and see what bills they've sponsored. And if they're not on some of these bills, whether it's, you know, uh, to, to some of the Olympic bills we mentioned or bills to divest uh, certain investments uh, from China or bills to uh, support Taiwan, um, then, then demand demand an answer and put some pressure on them to do it. The one thing that is not a legislative approach, but what I would like to see as we talk about this propaganda battle, we got all these crazy wolf warrior propagandists running all over Twitter and Facebook and YouTube bashing the United States and spreading crazy conspiracy theories. Remember, people in China don't have access to these platforms. So why are we letting CCP apparatchiks run wild on American social media platforms? There should be a standard that at Jack and all these other tech moguls put in place that says, if you deny your own citizens access to these platforms, we're not going to host your crazy propaganda, uh, uh, quote unquote, diplomats on the platform. Got it. Afflict the comfortable. Afflict, name and shame them. Uh, Joey, what can regular people do, first of all, for the last week of the Olympics? Tell us about the, the the status of the campaign. And then after the Olympics, what can they do? Both. Yeah, so for now, we are uh, encouraging people to participate in our I Will Not Watch campaign, which is very, very simple that you do not tune in to any of the games of the 2022 Winter Olympics. We're also hosting a, an alternative closing ceremony on the 19th of February. Uh, so it is very easy that uh, you just pay attention to our activities, you echo to our actions, you participate in our protests and also campaigns. And if you're, you, if you want to get more involved, just start organizing yourself. You can organize something very easily in your college, in your community, among your uh, social circle. It is going to be very easy, and you can always pay attention to us activists and then to support our plans and also campaigns. And as the congressman has mentioned, that it's also very important that you get in touch with your representatives. You let them know that you're very concerned about human rights. You're going to 
uh, expect you're going to want them to support legislations that defend the freedoms and rights of the people of Hong Kong, of the Uyghurs, and also of the Tibetans. And the midterm is coming up in November this year. It is easy for you to understand which of the candidates is really uh, is, is really an advocate for human rights, which of the candidates is really a supporter of the people of Hong Kong and also in Tibet and also in East Turkestan. Support them, get them to understand your concerns and also your priorities. Thank you, thank you. Mr. Freedom, what would you recommend your fans do to help the cause? Uh, you know, we always say, John, don't just talk about it, be about it. I think, you know, talking about it is amazing. You know, just bringing awareness and amplifying stuff is amazing, but we have to take some solid uh, actions. So I will just say, I think, you know, you are the source. You can go, first of all, try to go educate yourself, people around you. It doesn't matter, you're in a class, you're in a team, you're, or you're a teacher, like whatever you are, whatever you are, I feel like we need to educate people around us. And then obviously we need to push our, you know, senators or congressmen or, you know, whoever, you know, whatever district we're living in and just push them to take some uh, solid actions. And um, I think, I think, I think on top of all of that, obviously we need to pray for those people because I think it's important, it don't matter what color you are, what ethnicity you are, you know, what your religion is or your, you know, skin color, I think at the end, we are all human and we only have one world to live. So we need to make this world better uh, together. Amen, amen. Congressman Gallagher, question from Ruth, our, our organizer here. Do you believe there's a political will in Congress to boycott Chinese goods? Should American consumers be prepared to pay higher prices for goods that aren't made in China? Can that be part of the solution? It'd probably a harder sell now with rampant inflation, uh, but I do think so. I mean, look at the, the passage of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act was not nothing. I mean, that it's going to, you know, the, 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 the devil will be in the details and implementation is crucial, but that I think suggests there is a political willingness. Now, we have yet to test the hypothesis, I think, of when that results in higher prices for, particularly for low-end goods, what that means. And that gets to the broader issue I raised earlier, where I think it's obvious that we need to spend money so that we can, you know, build more semiconductor fabs in America. It's less obvious to me that we would have a national security concern about us buying um, cheap goods from China, so long as they're not made with slave labor and us selling things like soybeans to China. So that gets to the issue, where do you, where do you draw the line? But yes, I think there's a, a political willingness and, you know, I, I still think the American people are pretty darn patriotic. And if you lay out the case for, yeah, you're, this is going to cost a little bit more, but you're, you're, you're supporting the cause of freedom against sort of the evil cause of a totalitarian regime. I don't know. I, I think you get, I think people get fired up about that. Um, if you, if I would pay double for a, an iPhone if it was made in America, but for some reason we can't, you know, uh, make that happen. Joey, the last question goes to you, and this comes from Hakeem Ray. Taking your second question, Hakeem, there are unfortunately some, if not most, pro-China people and among them, surprisingly, are foreign people who defend China about issues that U.S. and allies and also activists have raised. For example, pro-China people countered the fact that the facts put out about Uyghurs and people living in Xinjiang and what he's referring to here are the, is the propaganda. And we saw this at the Olympics. We saw a Uyghur athlete light the torch. We saw minorities uh, in costume passing around the Chinese Communist Party flag. 
there's a lot of propaganda coming from the CCP. If anyone out there doubts it, just look at my Twitter feed. Look in Congressman Gallagher's or Joey's Twitter feed. You'll find it there. Uh, what is what is what is the point of that? What are they trying to do by pushing out all of this genocide, denial, propaganda, atrocity, denial, propaganda, and what can we do to counter that? I mean, the Chinese News Party has been spending a lot of money. They have been spending a lot of efforts into uh, exporting propaganda to cover up its human rights abuses in Hong Kong, in Turkestan, and in Tibet. And I think it is really, really important, as the congressman has mentioned, that we individuals to get involved to talk about the human rights abuses that are happening against our people. It is important that we also spread a word to people ac uh, across the globe who are around us to get the truth to be known to to the world. And I think it is also very important that the government take up its responsibility to uh, tackle the issue of the Chinese propaganda infiltration in our countries. It is a responsibility that has to be fulfilled by the government, by the big tech companies here in the States. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining today. I would like to add an additional thanks to the National Security Institute uh, for hosting this event. And I would uh, just say that uh, what I came away from with from this hour was that this is just the beginning, that the Olympics are just the start and that all of the problems that the, the CCP has exacerbated both inside China and around the world are getting worse and our responses have to increase uh, apace. Uh, so I hope you'll join me and Congressman Gallagher and NS Cantor Freedom and Joey Su. Uh, in calling for a national conversation devoid of politics, devoid of uh, division, uh, to coalesce around a complex problem that affects our lives. Um, I am, would like you to also ask you to follow National Security Institute podcast, Fault Lines and Iron Butterfly for continuous education about this. Please buy Chaos Under Heaven, which is my book, which is being available wherever books are sold. Support no hashtag no Beijing 22 and hashtag I will not watch. And please, please, please give your support. And if you can, your money to the activists who are standing up for freedom. And that includes Hong Kong Watch and Students for Free Tibet and the Uyghur Human Rights Project and Keep Taiwan Free and many, many, many other brave and courageous organizations. Uh, on behalf of NSI and uh, the rest of the panelists, thank you so much for your participation. And uh, this concludes today's event.